I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, ahoy, and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thanks for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It would be a lonely voyage without you. And joining me this week to discuss Series 1, Episode 12, is the broadcaster and writer, Chris Thorpe-Tracy. Hello. Welcome aboard. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I hope I'm dressed appropriately for the... <laughs> yes, I particularly like your deck plimsolls. Yeah, they're very good ones. Well done. Now, <laughs> thank you No, thank you for doing this podcast. I realise some people, when I asked them, just looked at me like I'd lost the plot. What do you remember of Howard's Way? Did you come to it fresh or had you memories of it or what? I had quite vivid memories of it being a big thing. I grew up in Winchester, which, although it's oh. not on the south coast, is near enough yeah. culturally to that. It's like right in the middle of Hampshire. Yeah. So it was definitely a thing. Now, I thought I never watched it. And when it was first broadcast, we didn't have a telly. What, in 85? Yeah, we didn't, didn't get a telly, a telly until the late 80s oh. for all sorts of complicated reasons. Okay. Uh, in fact, the only reason we got a telly was because one Christmas my parents bought my granddad a telly, a colour telly to watch a snooker on and they wrapped it up and put it under the tree. Oh. Incredibly accidentally insensitive to the fact that their three kids then thought that they were getting a telly for the oh, first time. Oh, no. And then after that they had to, by like <laughs> March, we had a telly. We'd, Your little urchin faces. Yeah, we'd tantrum. like enough? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like, Grandpa gets a second telly for their house, but we still don't have one. Wow. Actually, the other thing, sailing clubs were a big thing in Winchester. Right. It's a very posh town. There were a lot of rich people. Okay. And I definitely knew a few kids who would have been like the kids of some of that level of the social structure. Because like. we're talking upper middle class in Houseway, aren't we? There are people with very large houses and nice cars and jobs and they drink champagne and you know things that no, nobody I knew in the 80s was doing that. So they definitely seemed like they were a bit other. Yes. And I grew up on a council estate and was in yeah. a state school. But Winchester was that kind of a place. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. people are the normal ones. And then you get the super rich pop in a little bit as well. Yeah, don't yeah, they? yeah so, for sure. So sailing clubs definitely took a big upturn. Yeah. And my drama teacher at sixth form, this is a little bit later, this would be like at the very end of Howard's Mm -hmm. Way, a guy called David Lee said he was in it. 
Really? And I thought he was in it. I thought until this rewatch that he was in it, but I can't find him. Uh, but maybe he's been... like a walk-on or something. Perhaps. But I'll is, have is, to is this like out. when I was at school in Billericay and I, I must have been seven or eight and two girls in the playground who were probably in the year above me told me that every week they went to the audience of Top of the Pops and I believed them. And they'd made it <laughs> so up. Just, just a pair of, well, because they were eight. Yeah, a pair so of eight-year-olds going, yeah, we go to Top of the Pops every week. Were they sisters? No, you don't. Yeah, I think they were actually. Because I had two sisters that grew up in Billericay. Oh, oh really? Yeah, called Faith and Catherine. Catherine. Sounds like Faith and Catherine to yeah, me. Yeah, it does. It's exactly the kind of thing they, they had. A, they had a brother called Ricky, so they oh. had. I grew up with a cousin who was a Billy Ricky Dicky. It's very wow. nice. Well, We've got way late already. I know, I know, no, no, but that's the whole point. Sometimes we have to just stop, I think, and look at the opening titles again. You know, obviously, I've seen the opening titles to Howard's Way now about three hundred times, and occasionally, just in the right mood, it just I just stop and stare. It makes sailing look like such a lovely thing to do. It's never on really rough seas. It's a sunny day. The boat's gliding. It's like freedom. And I watched it this time for this episode, and just thought, I want to learn to sail. So now I am actually really considering learning to sail. Well, you should because like, this seriously. you might discover a huge. Love for sailing now out of the show and wouldn't that be amazing it would be very cool also the titles they're not a race so that it almost the only no. sailing that we see in the show is is competitive kind it of racy yeah, and we yeah. get especially in this episode i felt really blessed to have episode 12 because <laughs> it has loads of sailing tech when they're doing their pitch which we'll get there's to a, a bit later vernacular. on there's, a lot there's some of, uh... competence porn going on <laughs> of, the, of the sailing boats and stuff but um in the title sequence they're not racing it's just really relaxed also is it it's not the cast is it no not it's in just the random sequence. They do sail in it with a bit of help, but no, it is. It's I don't know who I want to know who that guy is because that face was kind of slightly engraved on my retinas when I was a kid because I saw him every week and I don't know who he is because the show did have a sailing advisor, but I don't think it's him. It probably is whoever owned that boat, but it just yeah, the same guy every week. No idea who he is. And in some ways, that breaks canon because the boat in the title <laughs> sequence is the flying fish. It is, but it's sailed by strangers. Yeah, maybe that's a kind of spoiler for You're the ultimate right. end of terrible. the show. That it's someone else it's sailing the boat, which is a weird. Yeah. Oh, that's made me a bit melancholy. Maybe, sorry. Have <laughs> Who you, was that have man? Have you dealt with the apostrophe? Oh, God, several times. Okay, well, I won't, I won't no, mention it. No, but it doesn't, it doesn't get any then. clearer, though. It just, yeah, the, the possessive apostrophe and how Woods. As in that way. they've decided that they don't want it just to be Tom's way, but yeah. it's it's everyone doing it. Yeah. Well, somebody on Twitter, um, interestingly, uh, there's a community out there of, of ardent fans of Howard's Way, and somebody did post some publicity material, and the press pack for this still had the old name, which is The Boat Builders. So there must have been quite a late decision to call it Howard's to Way. The title. Yeah. So maybe the, maybe whoever did the apostrophe just wasn't really paying attention. I don't know. But to me, it makes no sense. It it's an be odd Tom decision as well that change yeah. of title because although they are the central family, mm. it's much more of a soap format than that, isn't it? It is a sort of big ensemble cast of yeah. people. It's not one man story. Yeah. For sure. Anyway, we have to start this episode because otherwise we'll never. I'm sorry. We'll never yes. Get to the end. We'll get there. The episode starts brilliantly after the lovely sailing montage. It starts with Charles in a white tracksuit, not running because this is the eighties. He's jogging. He's jogging very stylishly no and not putting anymore. any effort in, and there's no sense that it's costing him any effort either no. he's like no sweat no. he's in an entire white outfit <laughs> which is slightly weird because he's jogging along a seafront there's yeah. mud and maybe some shingle <laughs> but he's still in this perfect white yeah it makes no sense because billionaires don't sweat they don't actually they have it they have it uh, taken away and dealt with in some little pellets uh, and he's jogging towards last night's bit of stuff which is Lynn Howard that's uh, Tom Howard's daughter she spent the night on his sex yacht and is now languishing on the deck in a robe sort of eyeing up the orange juice on the breakfast table 
And also, she's she's not quite in all white, but she's in all cream. Yeah. And well, she's not. It, she can't wear white anymore because she stayed the night on his sex. She has, it can't. Have, it would be inappropriate. So could it? <laughs> it can't have been her first time. Don't, no, I but don't think it's so. It's presented as if it was like only a few episodes ago. She was incredibly polite and naive, and yeah. some guy tries to kiss her and she bats him away. And can, can we just stop there, Chris? You're the only guest who went back and revised old episodes before you got to your episode. I'd just like to say quicker applause for that. Oh Thank no, but that was because I. <laughs> enjoyed it more than I thought I would ah, you see, and I really wanted point. to understand how they got to where they'd got to yeah 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 so yeah and I've watched five in a row that the <gasps> first five amazing no seven so I watched seven wow then I stopped because I couldn't bear it anymore and then I watched <laughs> 11 and 12 to kind of keep up to where I was so if I'm ever like off sick you could just take over the podcast right no no, no 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 <laughs> so yeah so Lynn is she's no longer a girl she's a woman she has been womaned. Definitely. They're, but also, they're not the only two people on the boat. <laughs> His quite attractive younger woman, also dressed all in Samantha, white. Yeah. Samantha, his yeah. PA or something, is also one. So did she stay on the boat as well? Well, this is a moot point because in a later... Well, in fact, in the next episode, which we can't discuss because we're doing this in order, she's there at a very unusual moment. You think, what? what is she doing <laughs> well, there? She's still doing yeah, there. Yeah, no, it's really weird. So she kind of hangs around. She never seems to go home. He has secretaries and other people who work for him, but, but Samantha is his... She just follows him around with the notepad going yes sir yes <laughs> so we leave lynn sort of languishing in the sunshine on the deck of the sex yacht she's enjoying it a lot Basically. she's totally suited now instantly for that setting she's yeah. like become that sort of a character yeah instantly she looks at home on a yacht she's always sailed though she's kind of undergone this uh, rather unfortunate transformation because she was this very gutsy sailing fanatic who crewed on this yacht that sailed the fast net and it was really it's a real moment of feminism they were all girls they were doing it and now she's just simpering after this boy he 80s male happy. seduction as well is very transparent oh, no. i know it's he's so, so eggy. awful it's yeah awful. he's not hot in any way do you not anyone. think so no oh, no no, no I way think, i think 10 year old me there were probably some flutterings i mean i wouldn't know but he does <laughs> he feels to me really he's very cheesy yeah Look, from feels... today's point of view looking back yes he's immensely that's charles cheesy. Freya. Ah, oh, now, yeah, so his name keeps on getting pronounced in different ways because Samantha in this episode pronounces it Freya, but other characters have called him Freya and Freya. Freya. God knows. I think it's one of those names where no one actually knows the true pronunciation. But we quickly switch from the deck of his sex yacht to the <laughs> boatyard where <laughs> Jack is busily fretting over a legal letter, which is basically telling him that his long lost brother in law has come back from, he thinks, the dead to lay a claim to the boatyard. So that's been bubbling under. Uh, it's going to come to a head in the next episode. But he's worrying because he still hasn't told his business partner, Tom, that his investment may have been lost to this interloper. And then we have to switch back to Charles running again. Whenever Charles takes exercise, they film it for ages, like absolutely ages. In a later episode, he's playing tennis for like an hour, like a whole match. There's that with a lot of the cutaways, though. A <laughs> yeah. lot of the stuff in between scenes, it drags out for a long time. Do you think they're padding? I the think there's a sense of that, especially movement stuff, like when Jack's driving, for example, he just drives for ages. Yeah. And the sailing, obviously, they fetishise the sailing. Oh, not that there's that much sailing there. No, but... no, no, no. In this end of the series, there's not a hell of a lot. So Charles is jogging. No one jogs anymore. <laughs> no. And, uh, yeah, Samantha pronounces his name in this slightly odd way that rhymes with prayer. Then we see Lynn and Charles making goo-goo eyes at each other over the orange juice, and he's basically saying, oh, take the day off. I'm going to flash the cash in front of you and show you what my wealth has accumulated and... He takes her later on to see his new mansion that he's having renovated. And again, when I was a 10-year-old, I didn't really understand that this was a bit of a betrayal of the sisterhood. But she's just going, all right then. It's just, oh, come on, Lynn. You didn't used to be this way. You used to be really cool. 
cool and gutsy. Anyway, I have a real problem with Lynn's change, actually. I really yeah. didn't like it, especially because it's portrayed as happening very fast. Yeah, very. It's not only that she's been really easily seduced, but she's also been seduced by all his stuff. I know. There is a sort of slightly aspirational capitalist nastiness about the fact that she's loving being ridden around his estate on a horse. I know, the, I know. The scene, I don't know if this is jumping ahead, but because mm. you mentioned him taking her to his mansion. Yeah. That's another thing I have a tiny bit of familiarity with of the richest kids I knew would have had these estates wow. in Hampshire that were very posh yeah, yeah, yeah. that you would maybe go to for a birthday party and just be absolutely brutally humbled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a scene where they're picnicking or something, she's lying there, and she is a totally different woman yeah. from the younger woman in the earlier series, even though maybe only a few months has gone by. Yeah. And I know she's had what's happened with her father, like she's lost the family. Th- so That's there, true. There's something moralising about it, something really horrible about her move away from feminism and being feisty. Just, she loves it. She loves... Yeah, I think she does love it, but there's something quite authentic about a young woman seeing her father. Her father's gone from being this upstanding kind of the hero of, of her life to this guy who's let the family down and had an affair, all that stuff. I think the father figure kind of being removed from her life, it's sort of understandable she'd go for this older guy who'd just kind of take care of her. She might lose herself a bit. I'm going to let her off the hook, but she better snap out of it soon because she's being really pathetic. There's a brilliant bit in that <laughs> in that scene where he quotes Voltaire at her. Yes. She hasn't heard of Voltaire, so then he's really rude to her and about he calls are illiterate yeah because she hasn't doesn't know a particular <laughs> yeah, quote by yeah, Voltaire yeah. it's that's, like dude she's 20 yeah. give her a minute she hasn't read it's 250 shades that's what it is <laughs> you know what it really is and then we cut to there's a few I call them acorn antiques decisions in the direction sometimes where you start <laughs> like right in front of camel with like a tray of drinks and then you follow the drinks across the bar yeah. and the next scene begins with the popping of a champagne cork and two glasses kind of clinking in the foreground of the shot and it's actually Ken and Jan who are celebrating the opening of her new boutique and they're basically just sort of flirting a bit and in the last episode they went away to Cannes together and something happened. This is a really great episode for cute Ken rather than Spiv oh, I Ken. I know, I know but cute Ken makes me well. The scene we're building to I can't wait to discuss with you but we've got, <laughs> we've got a way to go till we get there. So we're now in the boutique with Ken and Jan. He wants to celebrate with her that her shop is now open and they agree they're going to have dinner at Casper's which is the poshest restaurant in Tarrant. It's the only restaurant within 50 miles because <laughs> whenever anyone goes to a posh restaurant they go to Casper's. They do but that's if they're taking I always say it's the, it's the very important client restaurant place. You can go to the yacht club and get lunch. Yeah. But this is Casper's. It's that shorthand for dead posh. I really want to have sex with you. Yes. And or, then, or sell you something. Yes. And talking about sex, as they are a lot in this episode, then we cut to Shellett in his hotel room. So did you have a clue who he was? I, he, he I did people. pick because I'd watched the previous episode. Okay, I picked good. up on Shellett. I loathed him speed. from the get go. And also that scene is completely bonkers. It's, he's fucking mad. He, he's, he's properly really, fucking he's mad. Really and mad. it may be the actor because he's all over the shop. Like when the guy knocks on the door, know, Urquhart know, knocks on the door and he kind of goes, go, come, uh, come. Um, yes, come in. He can't just say, come in. He can't open a door. I was saying it's like, not, and certainly not in terms of quality, because it it's quite a, an erratic performance. He is performing in an entirely different show, and, and I can't take my eyes off him. I'm absolutely fascinated it's by like him. The, yes, it's like an angry young man play yes. has been stuck in the middle. Exactly. When basically what he wants to do in that hotel, he's going mad in the hotel, which is <laughs> on his he's own. just been put in a hotel on his own for a few days. He's not allowed to leave. And he's going leave. mad and he's not supposed to leave. Yeah. So he's got to have a sex worker. That's got to happen. And, and he's I- circled them in the newspaper like a job advert or something and the agency is called pussycats 
And he's, yeah, he's got his biro and just like drawn a big ring around yeah. it so that when Gerald comes in late, he's like, I just wanted some female company. Is that so terrible? And Gerald's a man of the world. So, you know, he's in no judgment there. But it's, yes, it's a very strange scene. So it's, I also think it might have been like when I was a kid, again, I had no idea what a prostitute was when I was 10. No idea at all. But I'm sure that must have been probably my first encounter with it. I think this show was my first encounter with lots of things. But it's just quite sordid for Howard's Way. Howard's Way, it's all cream, linen, trouser suits and everything's lovely. And it's it's a nice middle class place to be. That's the underbelly there. That's quite grotty. And he's working class. Or at least yes. he's not as posh as everyone else. Yeah. In this episode, there are two. There's the West Country accent of one of the boat makers at the very beginning. Bill. Moaning yeah, yeah. that no one's helping. In. Yeah. And then there's Shellett, who is just vile, insane. And his accent's all over the place because he's travelled the world, as he tells yeah, us later. Properly um, travelled the world, but he can't pour a cup of tea. <laughs> God, the tea pouring scene. He's like, bonkers. <laughs> he hears a knock on the door. So before he answers the door, he decides to angrily pour one of those little metal hotel pots of tea around the cup. Yeah, he just goes <laughs> and then some of it in everywhere. The cup. It's like, and then I kind of, I think he's doing. almost standing in a pose. Yeah. But then he completely gets rumbled that he was looking for a prostitute. I know, I know. It's ridiculous. He behaves like no human would ever behave. And then Gerald comes in and brings him his expenses because Charles Freer is using him to try and leverage the yard out of Jack and Tom's hands. I have a question. Okay. So does that mean that Shellett has agreed that he won't keep it if he wins and gets this boatyard? He doesn't want the boatyard. He wants to get one over on Jack. Oh, so and, it's personal. And it wasn't until, well, we'll talk about this a bit later, when he's talking to his um, his lady sex worker later, yeah. he explains why his hatred for Jack runs so deep. And it's really fucking weird. And incredibly dark. Again, it's 7.45 on a Sunday evening, BBC One. You didn't get this on Lovejoy. No, you bloody didn't. I love Lovejoy. Almost as much as I love Howard's Way. So, yeah, so Shellett counts his expenses. And I don't know what notes they are, because I've forgotten now. They they almost look like those black and white ones, but they can't be, because it wasn't that long ago. But, like, massive maybe 50 quid notes or something. And he counts them and counts them and counts them and then is embarrassed. And he grunts all the way through. (laughs) His performance in this really reminds me of when Tim Spall played Turner. Oh, yeah. It's so visceral and grunty and gross. There's a a lot of... He's not afraid to look unpleasant this No, not at all. (laughs) He's got quite the face on him. And then we cut to Tom and Avril, who are rolling up to Rolt Marine in uh, Tom's Jaguar because they're there to present his designs for the Barracuda, the boat that will change sailing. Then we cut to Leo, who's down by the docks in Southampton, talking to Davy. Now, his scenes have mostly been in Southampton lately because he's been helping Abby out, who's run away to Southampton five and a half miles away from Tarrant. She's gone to the big city. You'll never find her. You'll never see her again. She's five and a half miles away. And he's been helping her. She's been secretly pregnant and she hasn't told her parents. And he's just telling Davy, oh, no, no, Abby and I are just friends, which surely means that something is about to happen. Yeah. He keeps saying, yeah, we're just friends, but uh, there's this thing that... Oh, never mind. Nothing. <laughs> i just I'll show you my notes here yeah. where I've written in massive capital letters, <laughs> Leo is an angel. <laughs> I'm kind of really in love with Leo. He does. He would not look out of place with a massive pair of wings, would he? He's, and maybe he, like golden skin. <laughs> exactly. And he yeah. is so dedicated to helping. Now, yes, in a way, it kind of undermines it if he ends up fancying Abby. He reminds Abby. me of you Chris <laughs> he's, he's thinner than me and younger <laughs> not now he isn't because he's great in this he's so sweet really proper he's honest he's got the most difficult part in Howard's Way I think 
Leo. He just he has a tough role to play because there's not a lot to get your teeth into. And then every now and then they just let him explode with mm. anger and then he just shuts it down. It's again. always righteous anger and yeah. it's always on behalf of someone else. Yes. And he's very forgiving as well. Even though it's a glossy soap, you're still seeing the fact that 50 people have applied for the job that Leo's trying to get in the factory on the Isle of Wight. There's a terrible unemployment problem. There's two characters, basically, Abby and Leo, who kind of go in five miles away from their parents' houses, experience the difficult side of trying to make a life for yourself in Thatcher's Britain. It's really hard. And also that they are <laughs> portrayed with quite a lot of dignity. Yeah. And they are good. They're almost the moral... If they were in it a bit more, they'd be the moral centre of the show. Definitely. They're not quite in it enough, but... No. And actually in series two, they get quite heavily involved in ecological protest and vivisection protest and that kind of thing. They are the political heart of the show. Anyway, we cut back to Thatcher's children (laughs) at Jan's boutique. And she gets a visit from her appalling friend, Polly, who's come to buy a a really ugly top for a a drinks party she's going to. (laughs) And uh, she spends all of her time now because her life is so boring and she's so fed up with everything. She spends all of her time trying to get the gossip from Jan about whether or not she's porking Ken, which Jan never really wants to talk about. She clearly finds it all a bit unpleasant. She realises, I think, via Polly, that all of Tarrant society, which has always been very important to her, they're all talking about her. They all think she's having it off with that slightly lower class guy from the Chandlery. Yeah, she doesn't like it. It makes are very uncomfortable. It's a weird balance because Polly is very free and easy and she sleeps is. with lots of people in the flat yes. in London. Yeah. So having an affair for her is not really that big a no, deal. No, it would just be a and delightful you, bit of gossip. Yeah, it's quite mean. Very mean girls. Yeah, yeah, no, she's a, she's a very mean-spirited character, as, as we'll see by the end of the episode when she becomes a monster. You really gave me an amazing episode. <laughs> I know. So much going on. Not much sailing, but my God, lots of other things. Then we see Charles and Ken, who have gone to a windswept sand dune to survey the land that I think Ken owns and Charles really wants to buy because he wants to turn it into a marina. They always have this slightly cringeworthy pissing contest whenever these two characters get together. Yes, the two alpha male businessmen. Yeah. And they do a kind of handshake deal. But Ken is never the alpha male. He tries to be. But all Charles has to do is kind of like raise an eyebrow and Ken's just back in the mud where he belongs. The actuality of his nonsense is thrust back at him. He's he's not enough. He will only ever be a spiv. However however cute he's got. (laughs) However much he flattens out his vowels when he's around Jan to try and woo her. Yeah, he's doing his... His best. I loved his handshake where he sticks out his hand and it's almost like military. It's like it's a weapon. Yes. He sticks it out and Absolutely. then they kind of shake. But also they did a bit of haggling. But it doesn't mean anything until it's on paper, so it's very 80s haggling. This episode's full of business terminology and lots of uh, jargon in this episode. That's the only time where I think Howard's weight isn't at its strongest, when they're kind of all talking in jargon. They ostensibly do a deal, they shake hands in that rather stiff way that you mentioned. And then we go to the Jolly Sailor, which is obviously my favourite place in Howard's Way, the pub (laughs) that sells only flat drinks. Um... (laughs) Horrible drinks! (laughs) And everyone sits outside and looks miserable. Yeah, freezing their nuts off. And Jack is sitting outside talking to his friend, trying to get the dirt on Shellick. And he wants to do some digging into his past because apparently he's got a criminal record. And he's talking to his friend who's presumably a former policeman. Jack begs him, though. He does agree to help at the end. So he sort of says, I'll do what I can. Because Jack does kind of seductive trying to beg. You've known how much I care about this. Mm. It's almost did an accident. Oh, yes, sorry, that's right. Yeah, 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 like he built a boat for him years before that he still loves. That's right. But Jack's horrible. 
this kind of desperate Jack yeah, yeah, is yeah. really bad. Him cornered is not is not a no. good person at all. No. Well, you know, he was ruthless enough to marry a woman he didn't love just to get his hands on that boatyard. So we know what he's capable of. He's not always the nicest guy. And then we cut to the boardroom at Rolton Marine, where this is where the jargon just goes off. It's awesome. I loved it. I loved this scene. <laughs> this scene felt like West Wing. It yeah. was like competence yeah. beyond the max slipping in the boat terminology he goes oh i loved it when you did the duplicating temperature and humidity at each lamination it's just so kind of sexy boat tech it's brilliant you can you can almost see the cogs going around when the actors have to ju- like spout this stuff. yeah they've got to say it they've got it's to get ridiculous. it out yeah and they haven't had to learn hardly any of this most of what they say is like really simple and suddenly they're going oh and then the balance of payments on the edge is it's uh, this scene really made me laugh and it's very um it's very short cuts where you're kind of like waltzing around the board room like catching little glimpses of different conversations so you hear tom talking to one guy and then avril talking to another and they're kind of just moving the camera around the room or maybe changing shots and then it's time for tom to do the big presentation um and then we cut away to my favorite bit was my second favorite bit because obviously ken is my favorite bit later but we cut to the isle of white ferry yes we get proper (laughs) actual location isle of white ferry red funnel ferry and we know it's the Isle of Wight Ferry because Leo says so. <laughs> Otherwise, it's he like expositions. Hey. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he, he says we're not going anywhere exotic. We're we're on the Isle of Wight. Exactly. Wight. It's like she needs to be told. He's bemoaning the fact that they're not travelling the world when clearly two such free spirits as themselves should be off saving I don't know elephants in somewhere. But they're on the deck of the ship having actually this quite political conversation. Well, I think it's quite political. Well, before they start talking about the nature of their relationship, kind of in a roundabout way, um, he mentions that he's just been for a job interview and that there were. Over 50 applicants and you know he doesn't see much hope in getting it and that I, I'd forgotten how my dad was made redundant in the 80s and I remember just the horrific nature of trying to get back into the job market after you've been turfed out it's just really really hard and clearly he's struggling because he didn't go to university but now he's like literally been working in a garage and he spends so little time at the garage it sounds like they've given him the sack so um, part of that's his pride though because he doesn't want to work on the boatyard and clearly he would be perfect on the boatyard he'd be very hard working yeah yeah, yeah. I think I think that's he's a grafter isn't he he is and then Leo and Abby have this really awkward conversation about how she's saying some of the kids at the nursery where she works or the school where she works uh, think that he's her brother (laughs) and some of them think he's her, I don't know, dad. That's right. And then she goes to start another sentence. He says, oh, do they think I'm your... And then she just says, my lover! And then the and next then, thing then she says... Regretful. Yeah, she kind of goes, my lover! And then pause. <laughs> and then she says, what would you like to do anyway? <laughs> like, it's it's so perfectly done. <laughs> oh, they're sweet. They're it's really, it's really sweet. adorable. It's actually very cute. You know, she's very, very heavily pregnant. They also, and he's not even kissed her or anything. So it's no, really and they also feel like much more modern than everyone else. They do. Like, you know the way that her mum is constantly getting at her for the way she dresses oh yeah, yeah and yet yeah. she's basically 15 years ahead of her time she looks like it's yeah. the mid 90s yeah, or something yeah. she Hopefully. looks well cool she's kind of in pregnancy smocks now though like yeah that's true it's, yeah it's gonna be <laughs> it's uh, the outfit in this in this episode i'd say it's not it's not my favorite that she's worn also i slightly lost track of time because i skipped some episodes so oh, she got big very quick for she me she did and yeah that, that made me she said Violet Beauregard, suddenly just like yeah. spherical. Wow, how did that happen? I thought she looked great on the Isle of Wight ferry when she says lover and you... you really, ah. That's the first bit I thought she might be into him. I already knew he was into her. Yeah. But she kind of... That made me think, oh, they are into each other. They I are know. proper... And that I felt that really sweet. They are a really attractive couple. They're perfectly matched, I Do think. Do you know that actors work together... They worked together before... Oh, really? ...on tripods... Oh, were they both in that? I yeah. didn't realise. Oh, yeah, and when they were, were they, even younger. Were they in a love interest in that? Or just I don't know. Same? I can't remember. But I remember his character in Tripods. I don't remember hers. Oh, my God. I'm she was have in to go France, though. She was the princess. Maybe they were a couple of some kind. 
Because doesn't the princess run away? Oh, anyway. I can't remember. Tripods is a long time away yeah. from me now. I can't remember much about it. I remember being fucking terrified, but that's about it. So then we cut back to the boutique, <laughs> talking of terrifying. Um, and Ken is just checking in with Jan. He just keeps popping his head around the door and going, oh, how's it going, love? Yeah. He always calls her love. He's really into her. <laughs> oh, and my he, God. He's And he can't hide it and he can't play it cool. He's not into her in, a, in her a, a his normal way, of, no. but he's really into her. Oh, no, he loves her. When he dumped the other one... yeah. He was so horrible. Poor Dawn. Yeah, he really dumped her. But now you get the feeling he's like a little boy. No, completely. And this is the thing, though, you were saying about Lynn earlier. People do tend to shapeshift in relationships, don't they? To try and be the person, especially if it's one of these uneven things where like Lynn is in love with Charles, but he's not that fast. Ken is in love with Jan, but she's not quite sure. They try and become the person that the the object of their affection wants them to be. And it always ends in disaster. I I learned that as a teenager. You should never do that. You should just be yourself. You think that that is within the fiction that that works? I just think like they've done it twice. I mean, I'm looking for patterns. It's We're a doing thing a that's podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, by this time, Jan has become a little bit bristling because she can hear there's gossip about her and Ken. She's very worried about the mythical Virginia Sands. Virginia Sands, who is the other yeah. mate? I, yeah. I don't think we've met her. I don't think you ever meet her. Right, so she's one of she's those. She's a MacGuffin. That's who's been. Unlike the, the rest of the cast, they're all real. Yeah, they're real <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Virginia Sands is like this mythical other gossip hound. Yeah, Tarrant society has been very important to Jan. How they look from the outside is very important to her. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so she becomes quite cold to Ken because she's so full of shame yeah, at she, being caught she's, uh... possibly shagging some oik. Has she already given? Is this before she she's given Lynn the advice? Yeah, before, before, yeah. Oh, so we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're coming to it. Don't worry. Excellent. There's a there's a working class chip on his shoulder. There's definitely a middle class chip on hers. I think groinally she's drawn to Ken. <laughs> she's she's groinally drawn to yeah, him. It's very good. <laughs> I think so. But I think headwise she's like, oh, how's this going to look? They're going to take the piss. So yeah, she's uh, she's having a bit of a inner turmoil about that. But I don't think it'll last very long. You know, those two ended up marrying right in real life. The the actors did, didn't they? Yeah, so sweet. and Lynn and. Yeah, Lynn and Charles did too, yeah. So now we see Tom in action because normally in Howard's Way, a big moment is about, is is sort of being built up to and then you cut away from it and then you you see the debrief afterwards. But you actually do see Tom and Avril pitching their incredible boat and he's mid-flow as we cut back to him in the boardroom. He's pointing to like a flip chart and he's saying, lifting keel, shallow draft, lighter, easy to handle rig. He's just like selling them, bang, bang, bang. It's so Um, hot. It's really attractive, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, this, I think this is... I mean, I do... I have to say, I've always had a bit of a horn for Tom. But yeah, in moments like this, I just think, yeah, <laughs> you can sell my boat. Uh, sorry. Anyway, um, and uh, obviously, every, the thing about this boat design is anyone who's concerned about it always says, I can't believe she's really going to displace £12,000. I don't know what that means, but um, apparently she definitely will. And then Avril, just to impress them even further, has all of her facts and figures nailed down. See, she's, that's hot. She's she prepared. smashes it. She does. Yeah. She's amazing. If you had to pick one of them right now to have sex with Tom or Avril, who would you pick? Oh, Avril, definitely. <laughs> definitely Avril. She's just I'd probably together. pick Avril over the course of this episode or maybe even over the course of season I know, one. Me Avril's too, I think. Me. I'm not gay, but I, I would for her. She's great. Anyway, she, she knocks it out of the park. The, the men of Relton Reen, it's all men. I love that, that they cue out. that. They make that really, they have to impact how much she's done it. Yeah. So they do that thing of, which agency did you use? And she said, I did it myself. It's just brilliant. She is most impressive. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And then we cut to um, Charles's car, CF1. I hate that. That's when you think, how could you fancy a man? But then in the 80s, I suppose that was probably... In when Thatcher's was... Britain, that was probably super hot, I guess. I don't know. No, it wasn't. Even wasn't it? That's like the worst. <laughs> See, you're so class warfare. It's so um, Thatcherite. It's so, it's so status well. I know, it's horrible. And it's really a little way of... In your head saying, I'm special. Yes. Look, and it really says, look at me. Like, more than anything else. It's more awful. than a nice car. Like, people have nice cars for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Sometimes to compensate for small penises. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for other, entirely other reasons. Just like cars. Yeah. Yeah. But you cannot have a personalised number plate without being a total cunt, really. No, just really inadequate. There's a brilliant documentary on Channel 4 where they found the owners of various number plates just to ask <laughs> them why, why they had these number plates. And the owner of N2GEL was sat outside this house being interviewed in, in, the, in the front seat of his car. And there was a very expensive looking house with a big garage. And, and basically inside that house lived the owner of N1GEL. And clearly the guy who had got N2 was like, I want I've Nigel. I want Nigel. <laughs> so I wish the, I had it. <laughs> the ultimate kind of like, he couldn't really be happy. And he'd I never bet, be happy. I bet if you got 10 really famous people... yeah. And five had a personal number plate and mm-hmm. five didn't. You could tell, you could immediately yeah, I think you're right. guess which ones. Who do you think has got a personalised number plate? I reckon Jimmy Carr might have. <laughs> yes, definitely. Noel Edmonds has De- got to definitely. have personalised number plate. He cosmically plates. ordered one. Yeah. Whereas, for example, Oprah, who's she much wouldn't. more famous and successful than either of yeah. those people, yeah. definitely doesn't. Ellen wouldn't. No. Like, no fucking no. chance. Or if Ellen did, it would be ironic. <laughs> she, I don't think she'd, she'd spend have the a... money on an own. No, she'd no, give it to charity. No. She's super. Yeah. So Charles rolls up to his new mansion that he's having renovated he's shagged Lynn once is it twice maybe and now he's like come and look at my massive house that I'm not even living in yet because I'm having it done up he's just literally flashing his wallet in front of her and she's falling for it she's and lapping it up I hate it completely I know it's really eggy like don't do that Lynn and then we switch back to the boardroom again 
where Avril, as a final flourish, leaves egg all over David Lloyd's face because he's questioning her numbers and she's like, you're quite right, and then reels off some amazing fact that she only she knew, much to the pleasure of the other members of the board. So clearly she's aced this. Uh, if they don't buy the boat now, well, they're idiots. You know, David Lloyd was so upset about that <laughs> really that he left off. boat building altogether <laughs> and started a chain of gyms and tennis clubs. <laughs> And apparently he's doing quite well. It's ended well for everyone. <laughs> and then we cut to the woods where, to the sounds of romantic oboe, Lynn and Charles are trotting through grounds of his new stately home. And uh, that's where he makes the Voltaire gag and calls her illiterate, which is always a good way to get someone into bed, I find. She <laughs> forgives him everything. I know. She's just... She's just lost it. And also she's playing that role so completely that she doesn't even have a hint of vulnerable ingenue who's been seduced. No. She comes across like, oh, I've, I'm used to this. This is my... Yeah. And there is something horrible about it, about capitalism and about that it's his stuff. But also... When we still haven't got to the bit, I was jumping ahead. Like, so Jan warns her off. Yes. But Jan is basically doing the same thing with someone who's less attractive she... and less money. So she's kind of easier. She's just given her, given it. Oh, anyway, that I know. sounds really she sexist. Can't... But... No, no, no. But she can't really talk, though, can she? She's no. warning her daughter of a man who embodies all the same values as the man she's ostensibly trying not to sleep with at the moment. But she clearly is going to again. So Avril and Tom go their separate ways in the car park after their triumphant pitch effectively in, in the 80s that's basically like they've just done really good sex but in a boardroom we're, we're also being told that they're a great team aren't we Absolutely. really like they're a proper yeah. they can save the boatyard they yeah. can sell eight boats in a year or whatever it's <laughs> nine boats to break even they can do it so it's eight chris eight ten boats to break even unless you like blah 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 blah. business business figures figures it's eight boats or 7.85 to be exact yeah she nails it <laughs> she they're does. so good and you clearly if everyone else would just get out of their way and let them run the boatyard I know then they're A they'd have a hugely successful boatyard mm -hmm. but B there'd be no drama I know there's no peril without yeah literally no grit in that oyster at all so Avril then comes back to the boatyard finds her dad in a panic sort of rifling through old boxes of papers and and it's, there's another weird Howard's Way does this a lot there's a weird moment where he says while she's in the room with him he finds a piece of paper that confirms that this Shellet character has got a possible way of getting his hands on the yard and he says I need to talk to you urgently she's she's right there just go on then they, they never quite spit it out what they need to say are these characters it's kind of one of the soapiest bits about it that it's I know. He, someone will say I must tell you something yes. it's really important and it's going to be a big thing yeah. that I'm going to tell you exactly in modern shows you wouldn't get away with it now then we cut to Leo and Abby on his motorbike and he's dropping her back at home but a man is watching from his car we don't know who he is. We can guess from the next scene because it's Polly Erka answering the phone and going, yes, yes, and writing an address down to Southampton. So clearly she's had a detective on her daughter's tail. Did you notice that the phone rings completely wrong for the phone? <laughs> no. It's a really 80s phone that would have gone... Uh, brr, brr, and then, yeah. But it's a, like a 60s phone ring. Uh, OK, yeah, clearly the Foley department not really on there, uh, on point that day. And this is definitely before you would have had an ironic, oh, old-fashioned absolutely. Phone. This is 85. There's no, there's no question of that. Polly has paid someone to find her daughter, which is a bit confusing because she really doesn't like her. And it would make her life really easy if her daughter just fucked off and never came back. So I'm never quite sure what her motives are there because, maybe, again, maybe it's how it looks to other people. But so now she's tracked her daughter down and she means to go and find her. Obviously, at this stage, not knowing she's pregnant. 
do you think there's a lot of guilt there as well? She still thinks she can kind of save her, uh, like especially because she got those letters from the. Is that still to come as well? No, no, that's coming up too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep jumping she's, the gun. No, no, no. So but she's been opening her daughter's post. She's an absolute. Yeah, I mean, she, she. I don't think Polly feels guilty. She no. does for like a second, and then she just gets pissed and has sex with some random guy. So then we go back to the Howard's house, and Lynn and Jan are both getting done up for their postures. But um, yeah, so Lynn's wearing this weird, like, shimmering sack. <laughs> oh, she she still manages to look great in because she looks great in everything. But it's eighties fashions. Just is not, that the not black, very nice. shoulderless thing? Oh no! So Jan gets dressed in this incredible black evening dress. Oh yeah, but Lynn's wearing kind of a, a bally ball gowny, really puffy, really puffy. Kind of yeah, puffy it's really thing. terrible. Lots of the fashions in Howard's Way are Jan's dress is uncharacteristically kind of sleek. Normally they're dressed in so much fabric; it's just like gallons of the stuff billowing around them. It does look very strange now, I think, to modern eyes. Is there pressure outside of the creative part of the show where someone's going? This is a nod to Dallas and Dynasty rather than British soaps like Coronation Street and there EastEnders. Was, yeah, there was definitely, just reading interviews from around the time, I have extensive... The bu- have. The bu- <laughs> I've got a life too. I haven't. This is it. This is everything to me. The budget was mostly designer clothes, that they were chucking everything in the kitchen sink at, billowing just parachute fabric. Um, but yeah, so they're all ready for their... Well, she's ready for her night out with Charles. And Jan warns Lynn that she's going to get hurt, but Lynn won't listen. And then we cut to the Jolly Sailor where Leo and Tom are kind of having a father and son conciliatory drink because Leo, even though he's, I mean, how old is he? I'm guessing he's early 20s, is still very hurt about his parents splitting up and has been, you know, refusing to talk to his dad about it. So this is Tom's way of saying, right, come on, man to man. I'm sorry I shagged that woman and now (laughs) my marriage has imploded. Um, And they kind of come to an understanding, which is quite sweet. I had Leo down at 18 because of the whole university thing at the very beginning. Oh, yes, you're right, of course, he's 18. But also, that's still old enough, but it is really interesting, these two scenes back to back, which are like a heart to heart between mum and daughter, where their situation romantically is, there's parallels that they're not. Because isn't isn't Lynn's payoff line, like, like Ken masters like aren't you yeah, doing the same yes. thing so she kind of she says can it always throw that back into her face and then yeah. there's this kind of father to son talk in the pub yeah and that's and in a way i found that quite heartening like they're both quite civil conversations yeah and we don't get the nuts and bolts of when tom and leo have their talk we do that thing of we cut to afterwards well i'm glad we had this talk man to man and now you understand why i needed to go and have sex with someone else I because know, my I wife know. and i again there's a lot of oh look over there there's a boat and you come back and all the problems are solved and sometimes shortcuts are taken i will admit certainly <laughs> (laughs) this end of the series and then we see that Avril is with her dad digesting the news that this man is possibly going to take the family business away and then it transpires as well through some loophole that if he does succeed in getting his hands on the boatyard Tom's investment is just down the toilet he won't get to keep his share in the yard either he would have to sue Jack for the money and Jack wouldn't have any money and Jack wouldn't have it so yeah even when you just said that I felt slightly sad I know it's an awful point I'd be finished and so would you yeah I still hate him but I feel sorry for Avril and Tom yeah well, you'd hate him even more if you watched the episode where he killed the Labrador no yeah, he, he killed, killed a Labrador he killed a dog was that when he was drunk driving yeah is that the same time he's drunk driving where he crashes a yes, car and he it. sees the... yeah, so yeah, somehow yeah. I've missed the bit where he killed the dog well it might have been an episode afterwards and a policeman's telling him if this is your car do you know there was a dog killed here last night yeah lovely dog it was it was at Crufts <laughs> it's like oh um, you can't no, even have a dog no. without it having some form of middle <laughs> class cred they all have pedigree 
even the dogs. <laughs> oh, I hate just... him even more now. I know. The dog killer. <laughs> but that, that should be enough for anyone to hate him. So it becomes quickly obvious after this business at the yard that Lynn has been stood up again by Charles. She's drinking warm white wine. Jan is drinking room temperature gin. And then Jan's like, <laughs> another drink? And pours her some more room temperature white wine, which just can only be adding to her woes, quite frankly. But Jan is now in her fancy black frock and she's heading out the door to see Ken while Lynn just sits on her own looking pathetic. It's also quite an unusual thing for a mother to do, having moralised at her daughter about the man, to say, have another drink, have more alcohol. <laughs> I know, there's a, it's a very grown-up thing they have with their kids and alcohol now. It's like, come on, let's get pissed. Anyway, back at the Jolly Sailor, Leo and Tom have reconciled and it's all fine. They're, they're <laughs> friends now. And now, now, Chris... Oh, it's so good! The best scene in the world! Come on, take it away. Just tell, tell the listeners what happens next. So Ken is in, I believe, Jan's house, in the Howard's house. Mm-hmm. And he's alone in the living room and he gets a cassette and he puts it on and it's Sade, oh. I Will Be Your Friend, Mm-mm. which is off the Diamond Life album, which came uh. out a about a year earlier. Great album. And, oh my God, he then starts booging around to Sade. Wait, it's important what he's wearing. So he's wearing his dinner jacket, which he slips off. <laughs> he slips off his yeah. dinner jacket and, and has a, a kind of cute Ken groove. And weirdly, even that, <laughs> if that had happened at episode three, it would have been completely different because he would have been Spiv Ken. But he's so softened through the series yeah. of falling in love with Jan. Yeah. And he is now proper, gorgeous, groovy man. <laughs> it's delightful, isn't it? Yeah, it's and the so actor, sweet. Stephen Yardley, it's such a hard thing to do, I imagine. Even if you're an actor and you're used to just, you know, people seeing you in all sorts of different sort of emotional states and stuff. To dance around on your own and not to break character or to laugh because you feel so ridiculous. He does a really good job. He really gets into it. Yeah, he's giving himself to it. And also, what I hadn't noticed until I watched it the last time, because I'll admit, I'm, the, I'm your saddest guest. <laughs> I watched this episode three times. Did you? Yeah. Oh, and my God. And it took till the final time to realise that he was in Jan's house. Oh. So he's basically gone into their living room on his own, picked out some music, <laughs> slipped off his jacket and is having a boogie in... He turns the dimmer switch, right, because in the 80s that must have been quite a posh thing to have. Yeah, in dimmer. He dims the lights. So when Jan comes in with, like, I don't know, a tray of tea or something, she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And to randomly do that in someone else's house, and also let's remember, they weren't friends before. Yeah. He's very unpopular. He was going to be the villain until someone yeah. like Charles Freire turns up. Him, yeah. So Ken is there in their house... Dancing to their music? Is it their? Did it he bring the cassette be. with oh, him? God. I know, actually, he brought the cassette he with him. He brought some Sade. He definitely he... did. <laughs> Ken Masters travels with Sade. <laughs> you know he does. Now you've said it, it seems obvious. We have to leave these two briefly, sadly. I don't think he's on for a good time that night. No. Jan is clearly a bit like, can you just stop this? Yeah, she is really like thrown by the fact that people will know that they've yeah. done the Barry business. And then, so the romance is kind of dying by the end of the scene. And then the next scene, it completely dies. It's asphyxiated. The the next scene is the other best scene in the oh, show, but it is everything grim. about it is it's been transposed from a completely different program. Yes, it's not from Howard's Way. And what on earth it's doing before the watershed is extraordinary. I know, because well, it's all euphemistic, I suppose. So Richard Sheller is back in his hotel room, which he's not allowed to leave, and Dial a Floozy has sent round a woman in some hot pink viscose to come and sort of lie sarcastically on the on the bed and kind of belittle him. And she picks up a picture on his nightstand. And it's of Eileen, his sister. So Eileen is his late sister who used to be married to Jack. And, well, just he says, he says we were very close and like doesn't want the prostitute to touch the picture of his sister. And then as the scene goes on, it becomes obvious they were very close. And basically the end of the scene is like, I had to move away because I wanted to have sex with her. But he doesn't say that. He just 
he alludes to the fact that she was very pretty, his sister, and he liked her too much. It's like, okay, I, did, I don't remember that from the first time around. Clearly that went right over my 10-year-old head. But did that shock you? It shocked me. It massively shocked me. Mm. And I would almost interpret it further than you did. Oh. I thought he didn't make any bones about it. He was kind of confessing to the sex worker yeah. that sat on the bed with him that he had, he'd fallen for and had feelings yeah. for his sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even more than that, I thought that the implication remember he was sent away oh yeah so that means it was public or it was at least it was out within his family or something yeah and in my head I'm rewriting this now because I think there was probably some weird shenanigans as they became young adults that's what I thought it was he made some kind of move something happened they sent him away yeah and they quickly married her off to somebody who was completely wrong for her just so that she could be precisely so if that's the case do you not think it felt quite as if something actually happened. I felt yeah, like there was something that happened. And then what he does is he gets sent away, basically kind of a Navy-type shenanigan, merchant yeah, yeah, Navy yeah. maybe. He goes to uh, pa- Papua New Guinea. Yeah, he goes around the world. Uh, he's in Australia. He? And then he Working has this absolutely extraordinary conversation which ties into race, yeah. which I found completely oh, shocking. Oh, God, that was shocking. Where he says basically that he had black women friends. Yeah. But he says, I could never make a go of it with a white girl. Mm. And he's saying this to a white prostitute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I didn't know what he was signalling to the audience of the time. Oh. I don't get, was there something there? No, is it just that he didn't want to get off with anyone who reminded him of his sister? Oh, so maybe that's it. That's what yeah. he's saying. That- I mean, possibly that's what I took from it, but I don't know if that's right. And then the, yeah. the girl says to him, you could have black coffee here, you know. <laughs> There's plenty on the game these days. So grown which is, up. That's dark. <laughs> I that's know. properly dark. And all of this is played at a kind of tension level. He's still grunting and groaning his way and yeah. he's fidgety and he and keeps it, rubbing his nose. In any other show, you know, she'd be in a ditch the next morning. Yeah, have this felt. Yeah, so her. you've basically taken a thing from something like a Sopranos level of violence or a really yeah, late. Yeah. This could be something from Dennis Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly it's stuck in You're right, the, it's the not middle the of Howard's Way. When I was really young, probably the first time I ever went to London on my own I would have been 14 Quite young. and I don't think I was there on my own but I think I was allowed to wander around mm-hmm. on my own and meet my parents at the South Bank or something yeah and I was propositioned by a woman in Soho during the like late afternoon and she said oh do you want a girl yeah and I went oh no thank you and she went <laughs> any colour you like wow and I was and I was a very young yeah. small town I wasn't completely naive but I was yeah. pretty naive yeah, yeah yeah and I still remember that as such a shocking thing yeah I'd never even I may even I mean the other thing about growing up somewhere like Winchester is it's yeah. one of those places that thinks it isn't racist because there aren't many oh, yeah. people of different colours in, in the town yeah so it was it was just a horrible uh. extraordinary kind of moment of realising what the world is like yeah and I was reminded of that when this scene yeah, happens this scene. and the, this kind of really brutal mentioning of race. Yeah, but it is. It's really stark, isn't it? It just yes. suddenly pops out at you. So there's incest and, um, you know, racial tension in that scene. That's that dealt with. Sorry, before we no, leave no. that scene as well, also in that scene, he has a full-on tantrum. Oh, yeah. He is, like, going mad and yeah. he screams. And then there's this sort of weird dynamic where he's hating having her there. Yeah. They're clearly not going to have any sex. No. And she's just goading him. But there's no way she's going to leave. And he screams something like, I've paid for you till, till 10. 10. It's yeah. just horrible. It's, it's the most bleak thing. And there's there's quite a lot of bleak in Howard's Way on and off. But that's next level. Off the scale. Ah. 
Then we go to the Urquhart's house, the antidote to that scene, <laughs> and Polly's reading her daughter's letters again. She's been sent letters by this guy in America called Orin, who is the father of her unborn baby. So Polly's been intercepting them because she just literally has no boundaries and doesn't give a shit about anyone but herself. You know, and it's something to do, just read your daughter's mail. Do we know at this point that that's the father of the baby? Um, I think it's mentioned in this episode, the last episode, actually. Yeah, I think so. But she doesn't know. It's not in the letters, is it? No, 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 no. So no, Polly doesn't Because she's know. all excited about, oh, she's got a nice boy that we could get her back together yes. with. So Polly has this idea that she can get her daughter back together with an old relationship, I just know, like that. I That's... know. And it's all for show. It'll look better if uh, she can just marry her off to someone. And then we go back to Charles's yacht where Lynn is basically stalking him. She's waiting outside because you won't return my telephone calls. She's so nicely spoken. And again, she falls for his charm. He just basically says, oh yeah, sorry about that. Anyway, um, I'll take you out to dinner tonight. And she just goes, okay then. She's not that stupid, Lynn. She's quite clever. There's a funny moment in that scene or basically that scene starts to cut into it does takes to the extreme the thing you've been saying about us not seeing stuff yeah so it cuts into the scene after he's already seen her she's stalking him he comes off the boat not expecting to see her and clearly it would be a kind of surprise yeah and clearly there could have been some performed emotion there of that would tell us whether he's annoyed or whether he's like relieved he gets to i mean likely is he doesn't give a crap about her she's fucking annoying now because he's slept with her so she's just there she's a bit of fun but they don't show us any of that they cut into the scene at a point where he's already smiling and saying hello to her Yeah, it's really weird I think that's how fast he moves he turns literally the switch goes on the charm goes full yeah he would be he'd have the charm the moment he He, caught her eye he's kind of a sociopath he can just plug into that whenever he needs to knowing that she'll swallow hook, line and sinker and she does we've established we're very disappointed with her now and then um... you're more forgiving (laughs) of her than me yeah, do you think? Because well, I, I suppose I'm a girl and I've liked boys where I've behaved a bit rationally. But, it is um... a, a trope that I don't understand, which is the that he's so clearly an arsehole. Yeah, but, you know, there's the groinal thing, you know? Yeah, so if he were <laughs> hot, so I'm trying to think, if someone was really hot and into me, yeah. but they were an arsehole. Yeah. I mean, if and you were young and naive and you hadn't really been in many long relationships, I think I, we're all idiots when we're young, aren't we? Aren't we? Yes. Weren't you? Yes, I wasn't. That's a idiot. We we all had our moments. I'm what sure. Was the worst? I'm just saying. Yeah, cast the first stone if you've not been as stupid as Lynn at some point in your life. That's all I'm saying. And then back at the yard, Avril is wearing nautical stripes. I always like it when she goes nautique. It's a particularly fetching outfit, sort of like navy and white striped. She's great, isn't she? Jumper thing. And some of her fashions in later series are absolutely batshit insane but she still looks amazing in them tom and jack are sitting around pensively she's on the phone i'm not quite sure who she's on the phone to actually she just tells them to call back later and they discuss how basically they'll all be finished if this shellet thing comes to fruition and as jack says the words i'd be finished and so would you tom's hairline go like just on its own like the rest of it stays still his hairline just goes half an inch up like that I've seen, him, I've seen him do it with his ears before. It's quite supernatural. It's like his hair acts like shocked and surprised. So that's worrying. And then back in Southampton... Oh, it's brutal. Polly arrives in a taxi to surprise her daughter. Abby is not pleased to see her. And there's my favourite moment in this scene is where she's coming up the stairs to the bedsit. They're coming down the stairs from the bedsit. Abby is uncharacteristically quite happy and talking about, you know, the future and how things are going to be great. And then rounds the corner, sees her mum, tries to get past her and the horrible moment happens. She trips and it's not really clear whether her mum pushed her or not, but she just falls like fully down a flight of stairs. Her mum definitely reaches for her and she definitely flinches. So whether there's contact or not, the mother did cause that. Yeah. And oddly... 
Polly seems quite lovey-dovey in that I scene. Know. She's not. She doesn't come in angry, and she doesn't come. Even when she sees she's pregnant, she's more aghast. Yeah. She doesn't turn on the nasty Polly. No, no, she doesn't. So the moment I really liked was when she sort of sees her face on, and Polly doesn't clock, you know, anything below sort of neck level. Yeah. And she talks to Abby, and then Abby, to display her disgust at seeing her mum kind of just does this ridiculous it's just it's bad they obviously didn't have time to reshoot it but she kind of turns sideways in a kind of uh no no not you i'm getting out of here way but like turns towards a wall so that her mum can see her in profile yes yeah, which dreadfully is just like that's not a good you should have done that again but clearly production was such they just had to keep going it's like what's she doing there she's doing a dance maneuver but anyway she's not initially evil to her but i still can't work out why she spent money on a private detective to find her daughter when she doesn't really like her it but, does you know, seem odd. Yeah. Also, Abby is already crying. It, yes. it, she goes from being happy yeah. to being actual shedding tears. I know. Well, she's very hormonal. In the sight of her mum <laughs> within three seconds. I know, I know. But so you know, Chris, the, you've never been pregnant. The tra- no, you, I'm not, no, like I'm not expressing <laughs> surprise. It's just the trauma of seeing her mum. Yeah, she really hates her. Yeah. It's really upsetting. Anyway, the fall is pretty impressive, actually. It's like yeah. a proper stunt down the whole flight of stairs. Yeah. And then we go to her face at the bottom of the stairs. She's out cold. Having not seen this for, you know, 30 years, I thought she might be dead. Obviously, I know she's not now. Spoilers. But um, I was like, oh, my God, they've killed- that's amazing. You know, after after all the other shit they pull in this episode, why not kill a pregnant woman? You know, that's I wouldn't put it past them, frankly. And back in the days of scheduled TV, when you're watching this, you would have to wait another week. And they have made it convincing enough yeah. that it's possible she's dead. Yeah, yeah. She's only one of quite a lot of characters. She's not been in it that much. True. Um, there's, she's expendable, is what you're saying. <laughs> it, she's kind of expendable. Her and her unborn child, <laughs> and also maybe even that we've been taken to that really dark place by yeah. that scene with Richard Shelley. It's a weird episode, isn't it? it? It puts us in a place where we could imagine that yeah. death would be part of it. Yeah. Also, it's like one episode before the climax. I know. I haven't watched <gasps> episode thirteen. Oh, I'm so excited for you because I didn't want to watch it until <laughs> after we'd had this conversation. Brilliant. So I don't Brilliant. know how the season ends. I'm guessing you're going to watch the next episode. I'm going to watch all of them. Are you? Yeah, Are I really you? loved it. I loved it. <gasps> Success! The podcast has been worth. <laughs> it. I really loved it, and I loved. It's so Moorish, isn't it? It is Moorish. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, it's like in terms of Moorishness. It's mm. not crack like Better Call Saul or something yeah, like that. Okay. It's mm. Rice Krispies. Yeah. Okay. Like it's really Moorish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you think it's harmless. Yeah. Like it's not that you can't unhealthy. Can't see the sugar and salt that's in it. Not it's, really. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's invisible. Yeah, it's got me. Oh no, it's totally got me. Yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm wearing your badge on my coat oh. next to my West Wing badge. Oh, if, if you want a badge, come and find us on Twitter. We're at Always Their Pod. Free badges. I'm like the child catcher. I give you a badge and then I force you to watch the uh, the entire six series box set. It's really worth it. I'm telling you, get it now. They're get really it, get it before they put the price up. Going to make it really popular. It's good enough telly that if you want to watch it kind of to analyse what things were like at the time, yeah. it's good for that. But then you do fall into the drama. Totally. It's, it's great. It's a well-made thing. Well, I'm, I couldn't be more delighted. This Genuinely, this has all been worth it. <laughs> we've converted one, everyone. We've got one. <laughs> one person who's going to go back on YouTube and watch it. Try and persuade no, them to do a reboot. buy the box set. We've, there's been much talk of reboots. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you can still get the box set. It's only 30 quid. Oh, that's just, not bad for the whole lot. invest, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really good. Oh, I will actually... Yeah. Totally I'll actually buy that. Oh, so That's so bad. A sale, a sale. Now, traditionally, we finish this podcast with my <laughs> guest, if they're willing, singing their own version of the theme tune. But you're going to do something even more cool. You're basically going to play your own version of the theme tune. I'm going to do a, like a little kind of beatbox electro version. 
That's and I will exciting. I will sing, although I had quit singing forever. <laughs> so Chris used to be, it feels weird saying used to be, I went to your gig like two months ago, um, but Chris used to be a singer-songwriter. Yeah, I've done a career drop-off. So I if, did 20 years In fact, Leo, if Leo was around now, he'd have been a really big fan of yours. Yeah, and that's you know, I identified so much with Leo because yeah, of the eco-warrior exactly. side to him. And in Hampshire, when I was a teenager in the very early 90s in Hampshire, which wasn't that much later. No, no, no. You know, we were protesting Twyford Down and yeah, yeah, yeah. the Dongas tribe was around and the, the levellers were a big thing. Oh, and love the levellers. Like, all of that <laughs> kind of Hampshire, nice middle class protest was right my bag, definitely. <laughs> and um, I would imagine if Leo mm-hmm. still lived locally, yeah. hits his mid-20s and is still involved in eco-activism yeah. in say 1990 1991 yeah, like exactly later then. on in the yeah, show's yeah. run then there would have been like a 15 year old me 16 year old oh. me kind of out there on the edges it's like you're, you're you're suddenly in the world of the show i can see you there standing behind him at that animal rights like protest. if he he is your spirit animal he's my he's my he'd be yeah <laughs> it only remains for me to say chris thank you for being always there <laughs> no thanks for having me it's been so fun <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.